Well, I hope you're having a good day so far. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from uh, one of our campuses. You guys have been singing with us. It's so much fun to sing together. And, and then from uh, around the world, wherever you are, I know last week I was uh, in San Diego watching online and there were people from 151 countries uh, that were joining us and worshiping, and I'm glad you are. Uh, if you're not here in the Charleston area, you just need to know that God is watering his plants today, uh, outside and inside, but it's a great day, and I forgot to pray for the Broncos. Pray for the Broncos, if you would, today. We have so many Steeler fans in our church, and, and uh, we just praise God for the Broncos. Um, just a couple of things. One of the things that we do uh, here as we plant churches, we believe that every community in the world needs a life-giving church. And uh, today we want to celebrate two brand new life-giving churches being planted. Uh, one, Church of the King in Katy, Texas. Uh, have you know that that's the Houston area. Jason and Stephanie Robinson, they need Jesus in Houston. And uh, so they're planting there. And Reason Church in Portland, Oregon, Jesse and Becca Lusco. And uh, so if you know anybody in those, uh, those communities, uh, let them know that we've got a life-giving church being planted uh, today. Uh, also, uh, I just want to mention next week, uh, we're going to continue our series. I'm speaking, um, we talked about uh, Seacoast exists to help people find God, grow in their faith, discover their purpose, that we'll be talking about that today, and next week is making a difference. And next week's going to be one of the most important uh, weeks that we've had as a church. I want to invite everybody to be a part. We're going to talk about you making a difference, and we're going to talk about how we can make a difference as a church, and it'll be crucial uh, to our future next week, so I want you to be a part of that. This weekend, uh, it's my privilege to introduce someone who's not a stranger to Seacoast. Um, uh, my brother Jeff was on staff here for 14 years. He and his wife Sherry uh, really pioneered many of the areas of ministry that we have now. Uh, they moved to California to be on staff with Rick Warren for a season and then moved back to our hometown in Denver, Colorado, uh, and uh, are there now. He helps with consulting, church planting. He's a part of a great church uh, in that area, and uh, Sherry also is, uh, is, has been the CEO of, of MOPS uh, International, and uh, God's doing great things. I asked him to come share with us kind of his life message, what he's, what he's really learning right now. And so will you welcome uh, Jeff Surratt as he comes and shares with us this weekend. Thank you so much. Uh, so much fun to be here. Um, if you are a little confused about what Greg was talking about with the Broncos in Pittsburgh, you don't follow the NFL, here's all you need to know. The most important game of the year of any type, any sport, is this afternoon, and the Broncos will prevail. So just, <laughs> just so you, you know that. And you know what? If you're a Pittsburgh fan, that's wonderful. There are great churches all over South Carolina you could attend. Um, <laughs> I'm not a part of Seacoast. Don't blame Seacoast. I said that. <clears throat> Hey, we're in town, got an opportunity to come in for Greg's 60th birthday party. And as I told Greg earlier, you know, 60 is just a number, a really, really big number. <laughs> he is, to clear up any, any confusion, he is my much older brother, much, much older brother. I've learned a ton from Greg through the years when we were young. Greg taught me perseverance through difficult circumstances. He would come home when he was a teenager and I was uh, nine or ten years old and he would demonstrate the latest wrestling move that he had 
He had learned, and I learned to persevere through those wrestling moves, which, by the way, the Obama administration has outlawed as torture now. So <laughs> I also learned what faith is about when I lived here in Charleston. Faith, as Hebrews says, is the evidence of thi- or the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for, and sitting hour after hour after hour with Greg on his boat on the Wando River with not even a nibble on our line taught us faith for things we did not see. Greg also taught me about hope. 20 years ago, in 1996, I was working uh, at the Dow Chemical Plant in Freeport, Texas, teaching refinery workers how to use Windows 95. And Greg came to me and said, you know, if nothing were impossible and God were to show up, what would you do with the rest of your life? As I thought and prayed about that question, he said, why don't you come and join us on the team at Seacoast? And in the 20 years since then, my life has completely changed. God has done beyond what we could possibly ask or imagine. And Greg brought hope into my life as he asked me that question. And so I am thankful for what I've learned for Greg over the many, 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 many years of his life. (laughs) It's an honor to be here today to continue this series, Imagine. I've been following in Denver our Service times don't overlap, and so I'm able many Sunday mornings to join Seacoast online and following the message. Greg gave an incredible message two weeks ago about finding God, and if you haven't watched that message, it's foundational, not just to Seacoast, but to your life. I encourage you to go online and, and catch that message last week, a great message from Pastor Josh as he talked about growing faith, and today we get to talk about discovering your purpose, and as Greg said, this is a topic I love as much as any topic as there is. I, I worked for a while, as Greg said, for a guy named Rick Warren. He wrote a little book called uh, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. So we talked a lot about purpose. The last few months, God has really been, again, talking to me about purpose and how do you find purpose and what does that look like. And so today, I just want to share with you the stuff that I'm learning. And so this isn't a, hey, I've got all this figured out. This is a, hey, let's learn this together type of message. So before we dive into that, piece of discovering your purpose. Would you guys just take a moment and pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the chance to speak at Seacoast. Lord, thank you even more for just the opportunity to represent you. As always, very humbling experience, but Lord, I pray you'll speak your truth through my words. Lord, I pray that we'll find you in this day, in your name. Amen. So, discovering your purpose. I I don't know about you, but one of the most frustrating things in life is if I think something is purposeless, if I can't figure out the purpose for this. Sometimes you go to a doctor's office and they hand you this stack of forms that you're filling out. And I don't know if anybody else thinks about this, but if I write my name and address on the front of a form and then I turn that form over and it asks for me to write my name and address, it has not changed from the front of the page to the back of the page. You can look on the front and find my name and address. It seems purposeless. Maybe in school sometimes things seem purposeless. Greg talked about algebra and it clicking in his head. It never really clicked in my head because I thought, when am I ever going to have to solve a quadratic equation? And I got to be honest with you, I'm 54 and I have never had to solve a quadratic (laughs) equation. There has never been a moment in my life where I thought if I could just solve this quadratic equation, everything would go better. It seemed purposeless. Sometimes a job can seem purposeless. So you feel like 
you know what, if this job went away, nothing would change. Sometimes it feels like if I didn't show up, I don't even know if they'd notice I'm not here. And it can be so frustrating to feel that something's purposeless. And the most frustrating thing is when you can't find out, figure out, what is my purpose? What am I on, what on earth am I here for? This is a conversation, guys my age, we're in a, a small group in Denver and, and we get together with other couples our age and the guys kind of get together and talk and one of the topics we talk about is what are we going to do in this next chapter of life? We're all kind of in the empty nest world and, and what, what is my purpose? What, is, what am I going to do next? Wherever you are, you may ask that same kind of question. You may be in school wondering, what am I going to do when I graduate? Or what class should I take? What kind of work should I do? You may have young kids at home, and it's just hectic, and time is just pulling every way, and you wonder, what is my purpose? Who am I? And you can lose yourself in that. Some of you could be later on in parenting, and as you look to someday the kids are going to move out, and there's great pieces of that and hard pieces of that, and then you begin to ask, well, what is my purpose now? I've been a mom, I've been a dad. Who, who am I now? What, what is my purpose? And so we want to talk for a few minutes about how do you discover your purpose? How do you figure that out through life? What is my purpose? thought about a little bit about this over Christmas. I don't know, I've spoke here several times. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned I have grandkids. I don't know if that's come up, but uh, actually it comes up every time. I have two little granddaughters. I have little Molly Rose, who's two, little Maggie Claire, who's five. And, and Maggie has really bought into this Christmas thing, and she's figured out the whole drama and where to go to get what you need, that kind of piece. So, so she went to her mom and dad, and she said, Mom, I just, I've got to have a Barbie dream house. Have you guys seen one of these things, Barbie dream house? It's like this tall, this is incredible. I've got to have a Barbie dream house. And her mom and dad said, Maggie, I don't, I don't know that you're, you can get a Barbie dream house. So she knew exactly where to go next. She went to Mimi, Sherry. And she went, Mimi, I've got to have a Barbie dream house. Oh, sweetie, that would be wonderful. So Mimi comes to Papa and says, we need to get her a Barbie dream house. So I looked online and saw how much a Barbie dream house costs. And I said, that's more than my dream house costs. That's incredible. <laughs> and so Mimi said, yeah, you're right, I understand. So she ordered it. And it shows up... <laughs> in this box at our house. And I looked at this and I said, What's gonna, what, who's going to put this together? And she said, well, of course, Papa's going to put that together. And so I pulled out the parts. There's 2,356 million different parts. And it's got this book and you, it's color and you start putting it together. And, and when you're done, I mean, it took all day to get done. It's this tall. It has, it has its own garage because Barb, what would Barbie's dream house be if she couldn't drive her car around? And it's got an elevator, right? And then the, 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 the cream is it's got a swimming pool. And I'm looking at this going, I wish this was Jeff's dream house. I mean, this is incredible. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool if, if, you, if your life was like that, if you could build Jeff's dream life and it came with lots of parts and it had a full-color instruction book and you just put it all together and in the end, here's your dream life. Or, or maybe it's an app on your phone and you just plug in, here's, here's my experience, here's my background, here's my education, here's my passion in life. Bam, what's my purpose? Ah, oh, there's my purpose. The problem with the dream life way of looking at our purpose, there's a couple of problems. One is the Barbie dream house, Barbie has never changed. 
Barbie was born in 1959. Do you know how tall Barbie was in 1959? She was 11 and a half inches tall. Do you know how tall she is now? She's 11 and a half inches tall. She has the same set of friends she has always had. She has the same little dreamy half-stoned look on her face that she has always had, right? <laughs> Barbie has never changed. Barbie never got married. Barbie never got divorced. Barbie never had kids. Barbie never had to spank a kid. Barbie never wondered, when are the kids coming home? Barbie never wondered, when are the kids going to move out? None of that, Barbie. Barbie's life is always the same. Our life changes constantly from day to day, sometimes from hour to hour, our life changes. And so we, can't, we don't have this static dream life. This is what it looks like. But there's a bigger problem with the dream life idea of finding our purpose. God, what is my perfect purpose? What is my perfect cause? What, what is perfect for me? The problem with all of those sentences is they begin in the wrong place. My dream life starts with me. What do I want? What sounds fun to me? What am I good at? And that's not without merit. Those things are important. Your education, your passion, your background, your experience, they're important, but that's not where you discover your purpose. You see, discovering my purpose never begins with me. It never starts with what I want, what, what I can do, what works for me. If I truly want to discover my purpose, if I truly want to discover what God has put me on earth for, it always begins with God. So to discover my purpose, I start with God. So we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah where God really reveals who he is, what he's about, and it helps us figure out how do we discover our purpose. Isaiah 43. It begins with God describing who he is, and then he talks about what he's up to. So we start with, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned and their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. God unveils who he is and what he's about and through this, we can discover our purpose because based on these verses, I know three things about God. The first thing I know about God is God is powerful. We can put a lot of words in there. He's awesome. He's perfect. He's all of that. But he is powerful. You see, he is the almighty God of the universe. He created everything we see out of nothing. He shaped the earth. He dug the oceans and filled them with water. He pushed the mountains up, up out of the land. He created the, the animals and the birds and the, and the fish. And then he took a pile of dust and he formed it and he breathed into it and it became man. And he took a rib and he created woman. And he did that all on his own because he is all powerful. He is a God who heals sickness. He is a God who, relays, who restores relationship. He is a God who raises the dead. He is God and he is powerful. See, when I start my purpose, my, my, my quest for purpose, when I start with me, I start too small. I start with who I am and what I want. No, I start with God and who he is. He is incredible. He is powerful. 
Second thing we know about God is God is at work. He is not a distant God. He is not a God who created the universe and stepped away. He is, he is not a God who just sits over here and wonders how it's going to turn out, but he is actively, intimately involved day to day. The verse in Isaiah says, I'm about to do something new every day. God is about to do something new. He is at work. Now, if you're paying attention to what's going on in our world, it doesn't feel like God's at work. If you read a newspaper, or you read a news app, or you follow what goes on Facebook, or however you get your input of what's going on in the world. You look at the Middle East, and you see ISIS running rampant in Iraq and Syria and killing people in Africa and around the world. You, you, you see Iran and Saudi Arabia almost at war, and it could be World War III, and you look at those things, and you have to say, God, where are you? Are you at work? If you watch the economy and what's going on, China's economy melting down, oil prices dropping to the bottom, you just look at your your retirement account and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller every day as our stock market is collapsing and you say, God, are you at work? For some of us today, as we look at our own lives and we see our kids are off the rails, our finances might be a mess, our job is going nowhere, we get a report from a doctor and we say, God, are you, are you here? Are you even at work? And it can feel like, yes, God's powerful, but he's not doing anything. I know how that feels to wonder, where is God? When Sherry and I first moved to Denver, we moved from California. Um, She took a job in Denver, and when we got there, we rented a little house in in Aurora, and she got involved in her work, and after a few weeks, she realized that when they hired her, they didn't give her the complete picture of the the ministry that she was overseeing, the nonprofit that she runs, and it, it was in deep financial trouble. And, and, and every day they were bleeding more and more cash. And she was being asked to make decisions that she had no idea the right answer to and unbelievable pressure on her. And then when we moved from California to Denver, I decided that I would, I would go into kind of freelance coaching and consulting kind of thing. And another word for a consultant without clients is unemployed. And so... so I'm sitting at my little desk in my uh, our little rental house and I got my computer open and no emails are coming in and no money's coming in and Sherry's overwhelmed and, and then out of the sky, who knew this, frozen white stuff starts falling on the ground and it just keeps falling and piling up and it's cold and all of our friends and our family are 2,000 miles away and we're sitting in Denver and we're going, what, what did we do? And God, where are you? Are you even at work? But here's the truth. God is at work. He is doing something new. You know, in the Middle East where things look hopeless, did you know that more Muslims are turning to Christ than at any point in history? God is at work. In America where racial division seems to be worse than before the civil rights movement, here in Charleston, the whole world looked on this summer as a horrible act happened at Mother Emanuel Church And in Denver, we watched, and in California, they watched, and in Europe, they watched, because they knew that here in the deep south, this would explode into a horrible event, and instead, churches came together. People loved each other. There came a spirit of reconciliation. Why? Because God, in the worst of circumstances, was at work. God is at work in your house. He is at work in your job. He is at work in your life. You just have to look for God.
And there's a great story by uh, C.S. Lewis, a children's book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A lot of you have read it or you've seen the, one of the movies. And in, early on in the book, uh, the children come into Narnia and things are really, really bad and the white witch is controlling everything and they're scared and they, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and Mr. Beaver uses a name that they've never heard before. He says, you know, Aslan is on the move. And they say, who is Aslan? And they said, he is the lion. He is the king. Aslan is a representative in that book. He's a symbol for Jesus. And I love that picture. Aslan is on the move. God is on the move, the mighty God of the universe, the eternal God of creation, the unstoppable God of the resurrection. He is at work. So we know that he is powerful. We know that he is at work. The third thing we know about God is he invites you and he invites me to join him in his work. He says, I'm at work. I'm doing something incredible. I'm reconciling the world to me. And if you'd like to, you can come alongside. You can help. I thought about um, a few years ago, Sherry and I had the chance to go to Italy, and, and we went to Florence, and we saw the sculpture by Michelangelo, uh, David. And you've seen pictures of that sculpture. Some of you have seen it in person. In person, it's, it's just overwhelming. And I thought, what would it be like to walk into David's work, or, or Michelangelo's workshop back in the Renaissance, and he's working on this big block of marble. And what if he turns to me and says, Jeff, hey, come on in. You want to help me make this masterpiece? It's going to be, a, it's going to be really cool. You just, just start chipping away, and I'll tell you where to chip and what to do. You, you want to help me? I mean, that would be amazing to be able to help Michelangelo create the David. Now, he's, he wouldn't be asking me, boy, you have a lot of skills. You have a lot of background. You're really good at this. I really need your help. Can you help me make this? No, he's the master. He wouldn't be saying, well, I'm stuck. I, I, I don't know what to do next. I, you know, maybe you can figure it out for me. No, 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 no. He's saying, I'm going to make a masterpiece. You, you want in on that? See, that's what God is saying. God is saying, I'm at work. I'm creating a masterpiece. I'm creating my ultimate story of redemption as we draw people back and they're restored to their right place with God. You want to help? You want to join me? He's not saying, now tell me, tell me where you went to school. Tell me about how you did in your last job. Tell Tell me about what your passion is in life and, and help me understand that. I mean, those things are important, but that's not what he's asking. He's saying, grab a chisel. This will be fun. Let's work together. He's not stuck. God's not saying, I'm not going to get this done without you. Oh, boy, if Bob doesn't help, I'm stuck. No, God's at work, and he's saying, if you want, you can join along. This will be amazing. He's inviting us into a grand adventure. So how do we join him? How do we discover our purpose? Well, the first thing we do is we respond to God's love. <coughs> we respond to God's love, God's invitation into an intimate love relationship. You see, God's ultimate purpose for you isn't about what you do, who you marry, where you live, what your work is. It, it, those are important, but that's not ultimately God's purpose. God's ultimate purpose for your life is for you to be in an intimate love relationship with him. His ultimate purpose for your life is for him to love you and you to love him. That's why he created you. He created you for that relationship. He sent his son to die on the cross for that relationship. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. 
We hear this about love. We, we get this American picture of romantic love and candles and flowers, and that's all wonderful, but that's not the picture of love that God's talking about. God is talking about a picture of love that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Back against the wall, enemies coming from every direction. It's you and me. I'm here for you. That's the kind of love. Middle of the night, don't know where to turn. Pick up the phone, answer on the first ring. God says it's that kind of love. Discovering your purpose begins with this deep, intimate, real, day-by-day, hour-by-hour love relationship with God. If you want a picture of what that love relationship looks like, read through the Psalms. Read where David says, God, I worship you. I fall before you. But then in the next Psalm, David says, God, where are you? You're so far from me. In the next Psalm, David says, I have sinned so badly. God, could you even love me? In the next Psalm, he says, God, I'm so angry at you. What are you doing? In the next Psalm, he says, God, I love you. It's a real relationship, real life, day by day, what goes on. That's where discovering your purpose begins, is in this love relationship. If you're wondering, what do I do next? Where do I go? What's my next decision? Begin with, how am I with God? You see, discovering your purpose doesn't begin with what does God want me to do. Discovering your purpose begins with how much do I love God. And then we discover our purpose next when we look for God at work. When we look around and see God, where are you at work? Where are you at work? All the time we're looking for God's hand. We're looking for God's hand. When Seacoast was started, the original place that Seacoast was going to go was not Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. They were going to start a church someplace else in the Charleston area. But Greg and some leaders began to pray and they began to feel that God was at work in Mount Pleasant. And so they came to a movie theater and then to an to a elementary school here in Mount Pleasant. Then when it was time to buy land, I, I, I came out and visited at that time and they showed me this, Greg showed me this piece of property that was covered in woods on this windy little two-lane road in the middle of nowhere. No one lived near it. It looked like an abandoned place in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, who in the world would buy that piece of property? But they had prayed and prayed and they felt God was at work at 750 Long Point Road. And they bought this property and they began to build this building and God has used a seacoast to, to reach hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people all over the world. And it began with, where is God at work? Where is God at work in your life? When you go to work, before you sit down at your desk, say, God, where are you at work in my office? Before you get home, before the garage door goes up, say, God, where are you at work today in my house? When you sit down with your teenager, don't begin with, why are you doing this? Or do you have your homework? Or or, you can't do this anymore. Begin with, God, show me where you're at work in my child's life. You begin with, where is God at work? I'll tell you one place I know that God is at work. He's at work here at Seacoast. He's at work at Seacoast in Columbia and Irmo and Asheville and Greenville and across the southeast. If I were you, I would be asking, where are you at work at Seacoast? I would find out every, everything I can. There are classes, there are different ways that you can find out where God is at work. They have something called Inside Track. Inside Track is about come learn where God is at work at Seacoast because you may want to be a part of what God is doing. And then finally, We discover our purpose when we ask, God, how can I join you? We know that God loves us. We know that he's at work. 
And then we say, God, how can I join you in what we're doing? We don't start with our skills or our passion or our background or our education. We start with, how can I join God? One time, uh, Sherry and I uh, had another chance to travel a little bit. We were over in Portugal. We were there for a church meeting. Before the meeting started, we had a couple of days, so we just kind of wandered around. It's beautiful, beautiful country. And <clears throat> when we go, we just go on public transportation. So we were on a bus somewhere in Portugal, spoke no Portuguese, had no idea where we were, lost as could be. So we're waiting for this bus, sitting on a bus stop on a bench. And Sherry notices that a lady at the end of the bench is crying. And, and so Sherry goes over and she tries to talk to her and find out what's going on. But, but the lady doesn't speak any English and Sherry doesn't speak any Portuguese at all. And she tries speaking loudly and slowly in English, but that doesn't really work. <laughs> so she comes and sits back down. And then Another lady joins us on the bench, just catching a bus after work to get home, and Sherry feels like this lady needs to get involved. So she asks this lady, do you speak any English? And the lady says, just a little bit. So Sherry says, find out why she's crying. Now this poor lady, she's just trying to get home, and now she's getting involved in something she doesn't have anything to do with. But if you know my wife, if she wants you involved, you will get involved, okay? That is going to happen. And so she turns, and in Portuguese, asks the lady why she's crying. And then she turns back and tries to explain to Sherry what is going on. But her English is very broken, and Sherry can't understand what she's saying, but I can understand it. So picture this in your mind. Sherry asks a question. I pass it on to the lady who, who in Portuguese, asks the lady next to her, who answers in Portuguese, who tells me in broken English, who tells Sherry <laughs> in English. And that's how this is going on. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. And then we find out what happened is this lady who's crying, her husband died in the apartment behind a year ago, and she's come back and she's mourning, and that's why she's crying. And we find that out, and then our bus shows up. And we get on the bus, and we drive away, and here's this poor lady who's just trying to get home from work. But the coolest thing, as we drive away, we see she's got her arm around this other lady. And they're both crying together. And here's what happened on that, poor, that, that bus in bench in Portugal. God was at work in this lady's life. And Sherry saw that God was at work. Sherry couldn't speak Portuguese. She didn't have any counseling degree. She had no way to help this lady, but he, she saw that God was at work. She said, God, how can I help? And God said, why don't you talk to this lady and let's form a little small group here. See, God's at work all around you. He's at work all around you. And he's inviting you to join him. And there's incredible ways and little ways and big ways. But you just have to say, God, how can I join you? So how do I discover my purpose? How do I discover what God created me for? What, I'm, what on earth am I here for? I start with God. I don't start with me. I don't start with what I want, my talents, my abilities. I start with God. He's incredible. He's at work. And he's invited me to join him. I respond to his invitation of love and a love relationship with him. I look everywhere I go, every time I sit down, I say, God, where are you at work? And then I ask God, how can I come alongside? See, something we have to know about God's purpose is that your, or God's purpose for you, your ultimate purpose in life is about eternity. What we do here on earth is just a warm-up. We're just getting ready. God created you for eternity, so everything that happens is preparation for eternity. Whether we're on the stage or we're behind the scenes, whether we're incredibly successful or barely making it by, God is at work preparing us for eternity, and God's work is always focused on the future. 
God is not bound by the present and he's not worried about the past. Think about this. Jesus died 2,000 years ago for the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow. God is not wound up in what happened yesterday. Your past does not determine your future. What you did yesterday doesn't change God's purpose for your tomorrow. Sure, there's consequences. Sure, there's things that you have to go through because of mistakes that you make, but that does not change the fact that God has a purpose for your life. He is at work, and he asks you to join him for eternity. Your, God is at work in your present to shape your eternity. So as I finish today, I just want to ask you, what's your next step? What is God asking you to do next? Maybe you need to open up your heart to this love relationship with God. Maybe you've never crossed that line of faith. You're just kind of checking this thing out. Today could be your day that you step across the line and say, God, I'm sorry for my past. I want to follow you in my future. I want to know what it is to love you and be loved by you. For some of you, you crossed that line many, many years ago, but the relationship has grown cold. Today is a day where you say, God, I'm sorry. I've, I've walked away. I've been cold. I've let sin get in my life. And you reestablish that love relationship. You open up your heart. For some, it's to ask God to open up your eyes to see him at work. Life seems tough. You've gotten bad news. Things aren't going the way you want them to, and you just don't see where God's at work. And maybe today God's saying, I want to open your eyes so you can see that I'm at work. Or for some, it may be a time to open your hands. Say, God, I'm ready. Put me in the game. I'm ready. Show me how I can come alongside you. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. <clears throat> thank you for your love to us. Thank you that your son came and died that we can have that love relationship with you. Lord, I pray if there's those who are here or watching by video, Lord, I pray that they will respond to your call. That they will say, I accept the love that you offer because, God, you are a good, good father. You do love us. You whisper words of life. Lord, let us experience that today, just that love relationship. Lord, I pray for those who are lost in circumstances and don't see you at work. Lord, I pray that they will see you today. Lord, show each of us how we can come alongside and work with you as day by day you show us our purpose in life. Lord, we commit this to you in your name. Amen.